Welcome everybody to the Stay at Home Podcast. Podcast. The chilling at home, not hanging with Jerome. You can find us in our home. Reminiscing about Jerome. It is kind of weird. There's not much to reminisce about as a Calgary Flames fan. I've said this a couple times, but yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you go on social media now, and it's like number all four. Like after two weeks, it's kind of like, okay, we're bored now. Remember fifteen? Remember eighty nine? That's it. Oh, that's that's all we had. Anyways, how did you like that? That was pretty fun. All right, we just interviewed. Then that was special. That was cool. Kelly fucking Rudy, man. Like. He is so, like I could have literally just sat and shot the shit with him for like two, three, four. Seriously, it's a good thing I, I kept looking at the clock. I'm like, how are we going with like this is is going by so fast? You're getting stories about Wayne Gretzky, the the, the, the Islanders, the Canada Cup. Like, man, I wish we could talk over like four hours. I know. Like, I wanted to talk to him for like four hours on the Islanders, then a four hour on the playing with Gretzky, then four how hours about, on just the Flames. Yeah, like, just geez. exactly four hours on just Gretzky alone. Anyways, let's do a little bit of um, let's talk about his career real quick. Yeah, because it is kind of weird. Like, it's like if you don't really know, like he, he, I, I feel like most people don't know how long he played in the NHL. Like, he was legit. He oh wasn't yeah, like one of these broadcasters oh, who no. like played for a few years. Like this dude was a, an NHL star. He had for a long time. He had a solid NHL career. Um, and then the story. I don't want to spoil it no right spoilers. here. No spoilers. But um, he tells a story about Wayne Gretzky. Uh, well, he tells two stories, but the second story is what I find really cool. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll get to that. And he's, he's from Edmonton, born in Edmonton. Yep. Boy. He played three years in the dub in Medicine Hat. And it's funny because I had all these... I mean, we have all these, we questions. Have these questions. lined up, and then he just starts, and we're just like... Yeah. And then? And then? So and then, then what? So at least... Well, you do come prepared, but it doesn't even matter. Like, these, yeah. these guys decide where they're going to go. But, um, yeah, he played Medicine Hat for three years. Got drafted to the Islanders in 1980. Did he say that's when they won their first Stanley Cup? Yeah, um, yeah it was the year they won their first Stanley Cup. First of the four consecutive. Back so, back it, back it's, back. it's kind of interesting, and he does touch on this. But if you're, you're drafted into the NHL as goalie, and you know the team that you're going to is basically the best team in the league, for four years in a row, they won four Stanley Cups. We go through some of the roster on the podcast. An unbelievable roster. And what it's like joining a team that is already a dynasty. Like they're a dynasty. Well, okay. How many dynasties There's probably been outside, outside of the Canadians? Just the Oilers and the Islanders probably. That's it. Yeah. Like four Stanley Cups in a row? Are you kidding me? Four in a row. Four in a row. Can imagine, you imagine? Imagine four in a row now. Like, it's not even fathomable. No. So, shortly after... So, how many years has he played on the island? He played there... Well, it was a, he had a good story because he played almost four seasons um, while he was in Indianapolis for four years. But he played two full seasons there and then a little bit of a third season. But he was in the minors for a while after he got drafted, which is... He tells an interesting story about that. But he played from 83 till 89 with the Islanders. So almost six. He was traded to the Kings the year the Flames won the Stanley Cup, and the year that Gretzky showed up. Yeah. So he there's was there months after Gretzky got traded. There. You'll hear a little bit about, about that. We did want to ask him about the net, the '89 and the kind of late '80s Flames, but we, we couldn't. There's only so many questions you can ask Kelly ask Rudy in a short period of time. We want to be like, yeah, so tell us about uh, what was it? Actually, damn, because we were gonna ask him like, what's it like staring down an Al McKinnis slap shot? 
yeah. back then with no pads on. I know. That would have been a good one. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. But then, but then, yeah, he goes to the Kings with Gretzky, and I mean... They go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. You'll hear a little... Hear a little bit about it's that. It's weird because I think if you're just a kid, like I didn't even really know this until I looked into it. Being not born anywhere near, like in the '80s, I kind of figured he was at least on one of those Stanley Cup winning teams from from the Islanders, but it, he wasn't. He he never won a Stanley Cup. No. And I kind of made I don't know. I felt bad. Yeah. I asked him about the '93. He's like, it's my worst experience ever. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> now then, yeah, he's on the Kings for. He's on the Kings seven for seasons. the rest of his career. He's yep. there for seven seasons. He ends um, up in San Jose. That's when he started to do some broadcasting as well. When yep. the San Jose Sharks weren't in the playoffs, he would come on. And that's, that's assuming how his transition went. Um, that was going to be another question. But as you guys will... I, I mean, would much rather hear about Gretzky than about him going into broadcasting, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, and my God, like, you look... Like, I look up at the clock and it's like, 20 minutes is gone. Yeah. I'm like, shit. And the thing that was like, I, I don't know, I found so interesting, I don't know if it's the thing, but it's one of the things, is like, it's just, it's so weird how like, I don't know, like, it's it was a different era kind of, because he was talking about just being on like the Canada Cup team, and it's like, that's such a, di- it's, I don't want to say it's like the golden age of hockey, but it was a weird where you had like Gretzky, Lemieux, yeah. Bork, Messier. Even even like the older guys from the Islanders, like Mike Bossy and Brian Trotche, it was just this weird age of I don't yeah. know. It's like a, I guess it's the same now. You have McDavid and Crosby and stuff, but it just seems more legendary back then. I guess. Yeah, I, f- I feel like outside of his last probably two three seasons where he was bouncing around LA to to San Jose, like there was probably not much boredom happening at any time during his career. Yeah. You're surrounded by all these like mega stars mm-hmm. like he was surrounded by mega stars yeah like pretty much like if he had been on the oilers like he he's on two of the most incredible franchises probably in terms of timeline the 80s islanders and then the early 90s la kings with gretzky and robotai and like all these guys it's crazy and we, the first thing we talk about is the Easter Epic game, which I believe it's the 33rd anniversary coming up on Saturday. And if you've never watched this game, the entire game is on YouTube. It's three hours and 20 minutes long with no commercials. I tell, it's four overtimes. Four overtimes. And this is like, it's a game seven. This is game seven in round, I believe it's round two of the playoffs. It's not like it's game two or three early on in the series where the impact of the game doesn't really decide the series. This is game fucking seven. So yeah, if you just Google Easter Epic, it's like the first thing on YouTube. The whole thing's on there. I don't like, you should watch the entire game. Because I remember I used to, I watched it on some weird tape as a kid. And it was in, insane. Yeah. Like, Kel, like the guy is literally the size of the net. And he makes, which is an NHL record to this day, which I didn't fully know until he said this, 73 saves he makes. The size of the net. What? He's the size of the net. Oh, of height. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yep. No, not fat. Yeah, no. He's like Mike Vernon size. He's 5'10". But then you and watch. These little pillow packs. You watch because we're like asking like, did they, did they start doing butterflies? He's not doing no butterflies. No these guys are just like stand up. like They just zoom around. It's like awesome. So imagine being that small. And you face 75 shots over seven periods. You only let in two goals. That's just It's just mind-blowing. So that's the game we're referencing on earlier it's epic. in this. It's, it is an epic. And I believe they're going to replay it on Sportsnet this week. Sounds like it. I don't want to sit there 
Well, I guess it will still be the same. Well, no, it'll be a good replay. They'll probably they'll probably they'll chop it up. It they'll bit. chop it up a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I I obviously wasn't alive when that game was played, but I remember watching it a lot as a kid, and it's it's mind blowing. Yeah. Anyways, we hope you're enjoying these interviews that we're getting on. We're gonna try get some more people on, um, but enjoy Kelly Rudy, everybody. We're doing okay. Uh, I'm sending out my best wishes to everybody uh, that's listening. Um, hopefully you're managing. Uh, hopefully your friends and family are safe. And uh, I think this is a really important uh, conversation to have. Just make sure that you take good care of yourself and make sure that you, uh, you're talking to people uh, because it's uh, it can be a lonely time and we have to make sure our physical, our emotional, and our mental well-being is taken care of. Very totally. well said. Very well said. I know you do a lot of work um, in the community promoting mental health and mental health awareness. So, thank you for that. That's a really great point. A really, a really important conversation, like you said. Thank you. Yeah, it's. I, I've, I've said this many, many times. So, of course, I'm proud of my playing days and I'm proud of my broadcasting career. But uh, the work I'm most proud of is the the work my family does with mental health and trying to make sure that uh, people aren't ashamed. Uh, about what they're going through and they're they're willing to talk and get the help they need because uh uh boy that's the only way you're going to get through it you, you need to get the help you need and you need to talk about it 100 percent, 100 percent. so you guys are taking care during all this are you are you in calgary you're just staying around home or where are you right now yes we're in calgary and i must say that uh you know this is another byproduct of the pandemic and uh you know, we're missing everybody. Uh, we were really close family. We have three uh, grown daughters. Uh, they're all in relationships. And uh, we have two that uh, have fiancés. We have a son-in-law and a grandson. And unfortunately for us, like everybody else, uh, we are following all the rules. So the self-isolation and social distancing and so on. So we don't get together with our family. And uh, we're trying to find different ways, whether it's... Uh, uh, FaceTime and other things to make sure that we stay connected and we chat, uh, well, every day. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, well. Well, let, let's hope this is all over and behind us soon. Um, but really appreciate you coming on today to talk some hockey because, like you said, yep. without sports, I mean, this is kind of unprecedented times. Um, we realize how important they are, you know, when you don't have them. Um, but maybe we can, we can, we can give some people some sports today. I like it. Um, okay, I just got to tell you, I, you were just asking us. Um, I was born in '85, and Michael was born in 1990, right? Yeah. But I remember, like, growing up, my brother and I we used to, you always used to play hockey downstairs in our basement. We put the Rock'em Sock'ems on, and I mean that's my earliest childhood memories of you with the with the blue bandana, right? With the with, wow. Don, with Don Cherry with the LA Kings. Um, yeah, Don Cherry made fun of me. He yeah, I was going to say that. He called it the blue chiffon. <laughs> and, and I have to tell you, my mom and dad were watching the show, and they were so mad at Don, and I had to remind them that, hey, it's just uh, it's just an act that, uh, you know, he's trying to get uh, viewers, and, you know, and I took no offense to it. I had a pretty good chuckle about that uh, opening as well. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Um, I, I always thought growing up that he that it, that he wasn't really making fun of you. I thought he was actually into it. So I'll maybe I'll have to go back and rewatch that. Yeah. Well, I I think the way I took it, I believe 
is making fun of me, but, uh, you know, I have to admit, I haven't watched that. I, I believe, I can't even remember what year that was. I guess it would have been around 1990. I, I don't think it was the year we played the Leafs in the uh, conference finals. I think it was before that, but I could be mistaken. Yeah, I believe it was, and I, he pretty much was. He was making fun of L.A. for sure. I remember that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. But I mean, well, don't take it personal because I think he's made fun of it pretty much everybody, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, you the, got it. That's the thing right. I remember, and we were just talking about this a bit. I we used to have this VHS at my house, and you know, if you're of a certain age, you kind of just watch whatever hockey you get your hands on. And they had, I remember, they had like pretty much the entire Easter Epic game, and we'll get to it in a bit. But that's what I remember you from all the time. I was like, because I remember being like eight or nine, and you were on TV at the time. And I was blown away. I was like, that's Kelly Rudy in net. Oh, my God. He made 73 saves. And that's, like, my favorite. That was, like, my favorite stat as a kid to go tell people. It was like, did you know Kelly Rudy, the guy on TV? He made, like, 73, 73 saves once. So th I remember that. That was unbelievable. Well, you know what uh, I think of when I think of that uh, 73 saves in a playoff game? It, it still stands as an NHL record. But I was, as a broadcaster, twice. I was working with Ron McLean two games and uh, the goaltender two both of them Ed Belfour and R Roberto Luongo ended up finishing with 72 saves wow. and I'm, I'm thinking I'm watching the games and I'm thinking surely these guys are going to break the record and you know and the game ended for both of them I think Ed won the game and Roberto let in a, a bit of a stinker to lose the game but I was thinking in particular after Luongo that game I thought you know, surely the way that teams play, how defensive-minded they are, and how good goalies are and how big their equipment is, that somebody's going to not only beat that record, but they're going to shatter it. And it wouldn't surprise me at some point if, if a guy ends up with uh, 100 saves. Now, it's going to be awfully difficult because of the pace of the game and so on, but it, uh, these guys are so good that eventually somebody's going to break that record and good on them. Yeah. That's that's interesting. You know what? I didn't even know that 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 was that was the current yeah. withstanding record. That's Which awesome. is mind blowing because again, like we were just watching footage up footage of it, and the pads you're wearing, and it's just like yeah. I can't believe that you only let in like what is you only let in two goals in that game. Like it just blows my mind. You mean it's, the lack of pads? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, anyways, well, you know, going back to that game too, uh, the the Capitals really outplayed us badly in, in regulation. But, uh, and maybe even perhaps the first overtime, but second and third and clearly the fourth overtime, we were the much better team. Bob Mason uh, wasn't all that busy in regulation, but I'll tell you what, the saves he made in the second, third, and fourth overtime before we eventually won it on Pat LaFontaine goal, it was just remarkable. I, I had to do a thing for Sportsnet recently about that game, the Easter Epic, and so I hadn't watched it in years, and I put it on YouTube and started watching, and I was just blown away by some of the saves that uh, Bob had made uh, in overtime. And I recall at the time I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's unbelievable. I, I can't imagine how we're ever going to score. And, you know, uh, then a great play by Pat LaFontaine with help from Ken Leiter and Gord Denis. Overtime period. Again, nice save. 
by Rudy. On good, good play by Murphy. In for Duchesne. Gardner! Another big save by Rudy. Here's Gould. And Rudy down and makes another one. Christian comes in to dig it out. Christian passes. I can't believe this goaltending. Rudy made another sensational save. That one's out. Rudy made a big play again by coming out and knocking it away. Been the longest game I've ever been involved in. Oh, look at that save. Kelly Rudy robbed him again. That one was going in. Don't go away. Don't you be going to bed. We got another period of hockey yet. And here comes Gartner racing in. Looks back. Centered. Oh, what a save by Rudy. 20 seconds left, and the Capitals want to end it now. Look at him go. Franciscetti has a chance. Stop by Rudy. LaFontaine shot. He scores. LaFontaine at the blue line here in the fourth overtime. Firing the shot and winning the series. Scoring at 8.47 of a fourth overtime period. And the Islanders pour off the bench. And the Capitals stand there exhausted with their heads hanging. I have a funny story. So, uh, Jordan and Michael, when you were talking about the VHS, this is, I'm not embellishing, I'm not making up. I'm not exaggerating. I got a, a text from Eddie Olchuk, the great broadcaster and, and fantastic hockey player in his day and a, a real warrior. He's battled cancer and he's uh, back working and just a lovely guy. During this pandemic and the work stoppage and, and the NHL on pause, he was down in his basement. He found an old VHS machine that was still working and he was going through old tapes of hockey and he found one of my first ever broadcasts on Hockey Night in Canada and he sent it to me via text. So that, that's kind of funny how, you know, VHS, nobody, none of the young kids today would even know what a VHS is and yet here we're on this podcast talking about going back light years and uh, our experiences and how they're different now watching hockey and sports. That's awesome. And it, yeah, it's an interesting... I mean, as a medium, I think it's kind of, that's one thing that I think hockey fans could have more of these days is like when you had to watch like the whole game, you don't, you can't just go on YouTube and watch the highlights. I think that's one thing that's kind of missing from today's hockey experience is like if you wanted to know what happened in a game, you really did like have to have like an old VHS that you taped and you have to like fast forward to the parts you liked. It's kind of interesting. That's cool. Well, and it was difficult to watch because you had to watch in longer stretches because they didn't have the bug in the corner of the screen, right, with the, the time of the period and the score. So right. oftentimes you had to watch until there's maybe a commercial break when they're going uh, to break and then they put up the font with the score. And so right. that was your only way unless, of course, the broadcaster would have mentioned it during the, the action in the game, but oftentimes they wouldn't. And so it was just a different way of watching a game for sure. That's awesome. So the, the Easter epic, I think the anniversary date is this weekend coming up. Um, yeah, 33 years. It's crazy. Given the whole given the whole shutdown, there's a good chance it might actually get aired on sports. They better air it. They sh- Hopefully they do. Yes, I, I, I believe it is. I, I want to say it's on Saturday, but I could have the, the wrong date because, uh, uh, once again, I, I did a thing for Sportsnet 
last week. And so it was a real thorough interview, and I went through uh, my thoughts of the game and so on. So uh, cool. I'm mistaken. I, I should know what day it's going to be. It's going to go to air again, but uh, my apologies. I, be- I believe it is Saturday because that is the 18th, and that was the day. So I'm, I'm pretty All sure right. it'll be Saturday. So Okay. Well, cool. that, that should be fun. I mean, we were just talking about this, but – what was it like when Pat LaFontaine scored and the game was finally over? You see there's not much celebrating going on. Everybody just kind of wants to get off the ice. But what was it like being in net for the whole entire duration? It was four, well, four overtimes. Well, for me, I have to tell you, uh, the moment that uh, Andy Van Helleman, the referee, signaled that the puck was in the net <laughs> and that it's a good goal, I hesitated. I didn't want to celebrate in case there was a slim chance that it was going to be called back for whatever reason. And so I don't know what sort of uh, which uh, camera feed or footage uh, will be broadcast on that, but I know there was footage that I saw, um, and it was there's a view of me after Pat had scored. There's a view of me, and my arms don't go up for uh, I don't know what uh, lost count now, but two or three seconds because I didn't want to start celebrating and lose focus in case that the game was going to continue on for whatever reason. And so once I finally figured out that, yeah, in fact, we are going to be uh, the winners of that game, I recall Randy Boyd, one of our defensemen on our team, uh, half the guys went towards Pat and half the guys led by Randy Boyd came down my way. And so uh, that was a really special moment. Uh, Randy and I embraced. In fact, I think we may have fallen to the ice. I can't remember, but... Just pure ex- exhaustion, as you yeah. can imagine. Yeah. When you're on the ice, the game started at seven thirty in Washington, and it ended at four minutes to two in the morning. Um, by the time you go through the handshake line, there was some media. I did a couple of interviews. Uh, by the time I was in the dressing room, I'm going to guess it would have been about uh, ten minutes after two ballpark. <laughs> and once I st- started taking off my gear, I was so dehydrated that when I got to taking my skates off. Uh, my toes immediately curled under because uh, uh, because of dehydrate dehydration. So it was uh, just a, a weird, wow. surreal moment and game to be a part of. That's incredible. And I mean, not only the physical exhaustion, but the like the mental capacity. Because I mean, it's a game seven. I mean, it, it's all stakes that are on the table, right? So you gotta stay you gotta stay focused for <laughs> seven per- or eight uh, seven periods. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, so, so, you know, the unique story coming out of this, or that experience, so uh, that year I made uh, Team Canada for the Can- uh, 87 Canada Cup, and uh, so we're playing in the finals against the Soviets, and the game two is in Hamilton. We had lost game one, 6-5 in Montreal. Game two, uh, we're going to double overtime, and I'm on the bench and Wayne Gretzky waits for me. I'm coming down the corridor, going towards the dressing room, and he says, hey, Kelly, with that experience that you just earned and uh, learned about in the long overtime game, I want you to talk to our guys about how to prepare for the double overtime game. And I'm thinking to myself, that's weird. Wayne Gretzky is asking me for advice. So we get to the dressing room, and he goes, hey, guys, can I have your attention? I want Kelly to talk to us about how to prepare and stay focused for a long overtime game because he just went through, uh, I think at the time, it was the fifth longest game in NHL history. And and I, I thought, oh, my gosh, what am I going to say to these guys? I mean, I'm looking around. There's Wayne, Mario, 
Ray Bork, Mark Messier, the list is endless. Wow. Uh, Grant Fuhr, and, and uh, so I just went through kind of what I had thought of during that Easter epic, and, and it, it occurred to me that most of the mistakes were made in the first two minutes of an overtime period or the last two minutes, and I liken it to or relate it to when you get to the first two minutes, you're not quite into it yet, you're not as focused as you need to be, and you start to lose that focus near the end of the period. Now, Chris Snow... Uh, the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames sent me a, a text a while ago, a couple, a few years ago, about it's been statistically proven that, that it's not the first two minutes and the last two minutes. It's actually the first three minutes and the last three minutes when most goals are scored in overtime. And so oh, wow. I've always thought of that. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting when you get uh, analytical information to prove your points. And, uh, and that was real valuable for me. Bork into Gretzky. Gretzky cutting in. Centers to Lemieux. Got it wide. Drops behind the net. Out to Murphy. Murphy to Gretzky. Hit the post. Rebound. It's Mario Lemieux. Canada wins. The series is tied. The following game, uh, we won with about, uh, I think, a minute to go or something. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful the... Mario Lemieux goal. Uh, and. Yeah. Uh, of course, the the great assist from uh, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, that's got to be probably one of. Well, I remember that goal from yeah. watching it on yeah. VHS again. An unbelievable goal, Wayne DeMario, right. top yeah. corner. Oh my yes. gosh, that's yeah. so good. Seen that a couple yeah. hundred times. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. One of my questions I wanted to ask you, um, and maybe we'll just do a, a a quick mini history on this. Um, you were drafted to the New York Islanders. Um, I guess maybe. Can you tell me what it was like joining the Islanders? I mean, the team was a dynasty, and then, yeah, let's start there. Okay, well, I was actually drafted in 1980, the same year they won their first Stanley Cup. So, uh, and back then, uh, not all draftees or players that were drafted would attend training camp. So it was kind of a big surprise to me, even though I was drafted in the second round, that I was going to go to Long Island and I was going to participate in uh, training camp. Right. Uh, and uh, much to my surprise, I had learned maybe a week or 10 days in a camp because camps were much longer back then. And uh, I was very surprised when I found out that I was going to be traveling to Chicago and I was going to be playing in the first preseason game. And not only was I going to be playing, but I was going to start the game. I was going to play two periods and Roland Melanson was going to play the third period. Um, and much to my surprise, I get on the ice in the old Chicago Stadium, just a magnificent building to, to play in, and the goalie at the other end is Tony Esposito. Like, I'm <laughs> looking at cow. a legend, yeah. and I'm on the same ice with uh, Tony Esposito. Now, I ended up going back and playing junior one more year than I uh, ended up playing two full seasons in Indianapolis in the minors, and I, I have to tell you, most players in today's game, they take a demotion um, that, you know, it's they can't understand why. But for me at the time, I knew I needed to play in the minors. I was not ready to play in the National Hockey League at that time. So those two years in the minors were invaluable to me. Uh, I, I believe that's one of the reasons why I had a long NHL career, because I had those experiences in the minors. We won the championship two consecutive years. And then I finally made the Islanders for good in 1983 when they had just finished uh, their four consecutive uh, Stanley Cup victories. Uh, now, that same year, 83-84, we ended up going to the finals uh, again, 
but we lost uh, eventually to the Edmonton Oilers, and that was their first Stanley Cup, of course. So interesting times back then, and boy, did I learn a lot being around uh, Dennis Potvin, Brian Trotche, Mike Bossy, Billy Smith, Clark Gillies. Those are all Hall of Famers. Other guys like Bob Nystrom, Bob Bourne, oh boy, Gord Lane, Ken Morrow, Dave Longevin, uh, Thomas Johnson. The, the, the list is endless. Brent Sutter was there at the time. Boy, you know, you learn so much from true uh, professionals like those guys. Yeah. Do you think your career would have been any different if you, like, you know, instead of going to a dynasty, you go to kind of like a, fran- a new new franchise expansion team or something like that? Oh, I don't think uh, I would have had the same career at all. I, I think that, um, like I just said, I, I re- really relied upon that uh, veteran leadership. I, I mean, I hung on every word that Dennis Potvin ever said in the dressing room because he was such a great leader. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can't pay for that kind of experience, right? You, you yeah. can't go to any school and learn that and how to be prepared every single day and how to fight through when you're a little bit under the weather or you're a little bit tired or you've got some uh, problems in your own personal life that uh, weigh heavily on you. And so when you're around guys like that that find a way to get the best out of themselves, and everybody does it a little bit differently, but you you can't ever give in to that, oh, woe is me feeling, and those guys taught me that. Yeah, that's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, like if you look at those teams, like it's kind of absolutely mind blowing the players on on that Islanders dynasty. Like it's just like uh, like you just listed them off, and I'm just sitting here like, yeah. oh yeah, oh yeah. They had Podvan, they had Tinelli, they had Trotje, Bossy, Al Arbor was there. It's just yeah. like holy cow. Yeah. Totally. So uh, I'll tell you this, and uh, it's hard when you go back to watch some of the footage of some of those players, but I'm going to focus on Dennis Potvin again in terms of his play. So I never did see Bobby Orr live, but everybody told me Bobby Orr is the best defenseman to ever play. And I'll, okay, I'll, I'll give him that uh, based on the people that have told me that. I trust and I really uh, value their opinion. But in my opinion, and I've been around the game, like I said, since 1980, uh, the second best defenseman to ever play was Dennis Potvin. And, and I'm including all the other great ones like uh, Nick Lidstrom and, and Paul Coffey and uh, uh, Drew Doughty, Chris Pronger, all these great ones, uh, yeah. Mark Giordano, because Dennis was the complete package. Now, if you put him in today's game, I don't know how he'd fare simply because it, it, it's more of a skating game. Now, don't get me wrong, Dennis could skate really well, but he had skill, he was mean, uh maybe one of the best passers to ever play, uh, but just the complete package. And so when I look at a lot of really good defensemen to this day, I still compare their overall game to Dennis Potvin, and rarely does a guy get close. Very cool. I mean, I was looking at his stats. It was like he had 101 points one year in, wow. in, the, in 79. had 30 goals and 70 assists. Wow. Like, holy cow. Well, well, if I'm not mistaken, and, and uh, I, I don't have Hockey DB available to me right now, but uh, didn't he have something like 21 goals the year he retired? Yeah, he was. Like his last year, he had 19 goals. Yeah, 19 goals. I knew it was up there. I knew it was around 20. Like, I mean, th- that was a shame for all of us when we knew that year he was going to retire. In fact, he kind of had a retirement tour. Some of the teams, including Vancouver Canucks, presented him with some amazing gifts. I know Dennis was an avid uh, fly fisherman, and they sent him out somewhere uh, 
in uh, Haida Gwaii, the Queen Charlotte's back then for an incredible fishing trip with Dennis and his wife Valerie. So that, that was cool. But I'm thinking to myself, why in the world is this guy retiring? Like he's got, I thought he had, I don't know, three, four good years left. But yeah. there were a lot of guys back then that retired in their early 30s. And, you know, in today's game, most guys slug it out as long as they can. And why wouldn't you? Yeah, it's true. Okay, well, you already gave us gave us uh, one Wayne story. Obviously, we can't get you on here and not ask you what it was like to to when you when you got traded from the Islanders to the Kings. It was the was it the same season or the year after that Wayne was there? What was Wayne it? Wayne lo- was traded in August of '88, and uh, I was traded there in February of '89. Okay, so not much long after. What was it like joining Wayne Gretzky? <laughs> okay, well, Wayne's the reason why I was traded to uh, Los Angeles. I had no interest in wanting to, to leave the Islanders, but because of our experience together in the 87 Canada Cup, uh, I was told much later that Wayne is pushing Bill Torrey, our general manager, for a long, long time, trying to get a, a chance to uh, trade for me uh, that season. And wow. so, finally, the, the deal came through in February, but, uh, you know, just playing with that guy and how gracious he is. So, I believe it was about 1991, and uh, we're playing, uh, well, we had a guy on our team by the name of Peter Prazler. Now, he was uh, uh, from Czechoslovakia. It wasn't even uh, the Czech Republic back then. And Peter was a really gifted left-handed shooting defenseman, highly skilled, but he didn't like the physical play very much. And so oftentimes in a game when he'd be in our own zone and it looked as though he might get hit, he'd just throw the puck away blindly. Yeah. Well, he, he did this one game against, uh, I believe it was Montreal, or no, it was the New York Rangers at home. It was a 3-3 game, I believe, and that was a game-winning goal with 10 minutes to go, and after the game, I was furious with Peter. And normally, after a loss, I was mad at myself. Well, this game, I was furious with Peter, and so I'm in the shower, and Wayne's in there after the game, and I'm I'm yelling and I'm swearing and I'm saying a whole bunch of bad things about poor Peter. And uh, I'm throwing shampoo bottles around. I'm having a full-on tantrum. And no, nobody else is coming in the shower because they can hear me. And, you know, so my tantrum is finally over. And Wayne just looks at me and he says, Kelly, let everybody earn a living. If he's not good enough, they'll get somebody new. And unfortunately for Peter, it didn't work out. But I felt so badly, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what graciousness shown by Wayne. Yeah. Because he has all this pressure to, to turn our team around and make sure that we're, uh, we're a real solid franchise and a, uh, a good playoff team. And he had that grace right there to put me in my place. And, and I tell that story often because I think it just tells you about... Now, Wayne wanted to win. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But there was, there, you, you, you couldn't treat your teammates like that. Right. That's a great story. And, I mean, what a confidence confidence booster having Wayne Gretzky, you know, want you to, you as a goalie, eh? Oh, my gosh, right? I know. It was uh, really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, there are just other things about being on a team with Wayne and his chasing records. He, you know, I was there when he beat uh, Gordie Howe's record for most points in the National Hockey League, 1,850. Wayne, uh, of course, shattered that by another 1,000 by the end of his career and I was there I was playing for the Kings the night that uh, Wayne beat Gordie Howe's record for most goals ever uh, 
uh, in the National Hockey League, and I, I remember the celebration we had at some cool restaurant in Beverly Hills that night, and just all these experiences. He was nice enough to uh, take a few of us in the first ever NHL lockout in 1994. Um, we ended up going to Europe, and Wayne had a team. It's called Wayne Gretzky and Friends, and so we had people like Doug Gilmore, Mark Messier, Steve Eiserman, uh, Brett Hull, Al McInnes, and a bunch of us from the LA Kings, and we went over to Europe and played, I believe, around seven games. That was a great experience to uh, travel with Wayne, and it was, it was kind of like, now, of course, I, I never was able to see the Beatles, but I've heard the stories about you know, Beatlemania and all this. So we get to the first city we're going to play in uh, is uh, um, in in Finland. And uh, I, I can't remember the name of the city for some reason. That's crazy. But anyways, we get there and we're staying in a circular kind of hotel. And I am not making this up, guys. There must be, I don't know, thousands of people there and they're all around the building. They've circled the the building itself, and they must be 10 deep. It was just really cool wow. to, to see that and the sort of, like, I don't know, impact he had not only in North American hockey but worldwide. It was so amazing. Very cool. The thing I remember about that team is the is the wicked jerseys. I remember those jerseys so well for some reason. Those are sweet. We need to bring those yeah. back. Yeah, they were cool, eh? I know. Okay, Everything so just, about that tour was cool. So, yeah, that's cool. Uh, you know, it was uh, just something. And then you get all these lifelong friendships. Like whenever I still see Brett Hall, we always joke about that. And uh, just other experiences, amazing. Very cool. So a couple more on the Kings front from me. What You guys go to the Stanley Cup final in 1993. What What is that like? Like, I mean, the Kings, it's not that they were a new franchise, but, you know, just getting Gretzky, they were just kind of finally coming into probably true relevancy in the NHL. What's that like taking kind of like a non-traditional hockey market. What was that like going to the Stanley Cup final? Like, I mean, you even went through Toronto, I'm sure, you know, that can't yeah. be, that, that's probably an interesting experience. What was that 1993 Stanley Cup final year like playing with the Wayne Gretzky Los Angeles Kings? Well, it was a real roller coaster, I can tell you that much, because uh, that was a season, my 10th year in the National Hockey League, and uh, it was uh, um, the most, uh, or the least consistent season of my career. I got off to a great start. Wayne was injured, by the way. I don't think most people remember that, but right. he had been hit by uh, Gary Souter in the 1991 uh, Canada Cup, and so he had this lingering injury, and at one point early on in training camp, we were told that he's going to miss some games, and the injury was so significant, we were told that he may never play again. Whoa. So. We got off to a great start. Luke Robitaille was named our interim captain. He had a great start. I had the best start ever of my uh, playing career, and I believe we were in first place in the National Hockey League, or at least the Western Conference, uh, right around the end of November. And then my game disappeared. I had all these negative thoughts, and I couldn't control them, and uh, I went into a ditch for two months. Luckily for me, Barry Melrose, our coach, really cared about me and he went way out on a limb and introduced me to uh anthony robbins so i was able to work with tony robbins oh, wow. personally oh, yeah cool. and so tony was able to get me uh turned around uh i ended up getting back on track late january and then uh we still had a bit of a roller coaster but when we finally got to the playoffs and we played uh, calgary in the first round i was the starting goalie for the first 
four games. Uh, we were tied 2-2. Um, or, or I, I take that back. I started the first three, then Rob Stauber took over, and he played exceptionally well. And we beat Calgary, and then we started off in Vancouver in the second round. We lost, and then I got the net back, and uh, we were able many highs and lows in those playoffs. But I think the game that really stands out for me that got us over the hump was game five in Vancouver. The series was tied 2-2. We go to double overtime, and uh, relative unknown, guy from Edmonton, a good friend of mine, Gary Shuchuk, scored in double overtime. And we were able to finish off Vancouver at home in Game 6 and ultimately go to the conference final and beat the Leafs in Game 7 in Toronto or Maple Leaf Gardens, which was a fantastic experience. And ultimately, uh, then, my worst ever hockey memory, uh, playing in the finals and losing to Montreal. You would think it would be a, a pleasant experience getting to the finals, but uh, losing in the finals, there's no question it's my least favorite hockey memory that I have. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. I mean, I I, I it's it's kind of weird because I I remember when Jerome McGinley was giving his retirement speech, he 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 kind of made a really good point because when when the Flint when he didn't win a Stanley Cup, I was like I was so bitter about that. But then something he said really kind of like that I really appreciated that Jerome said kind of made a bit of a difference for me. He said that he won every single day playing in Calgary, so. I, I really like that. I don't know where I was going with that, but it's just like, I, I feel you, man. That that losing in the Stanley Cup final, like that is kind of, even as a fan, has haunted me forever with the Flames specifically. I can't even imagine what it's like as a player, so I feel you. Yeah, and you know, I think, uh, I kind of remember Jerome's speech, and something about, and not only did he win every day because of playing in Calgary, but because of all the experience and all the friends he made and yeah. things like that. And those are the things that you really cherish. I mean, I still it still brings a big smile on my face whenever I'm somewhere and I run into a, a former teammate and we have a nice little laugh and a hug and all those sorts of things. So uh, I agree with Jerome in that sense. Well, we could probably chat with you all day, but I know uh, we've got to respect your time. Um, let's wrap things up. Um, with this current Flames team, I know this year has been crazy. Um, it, it just yeah. Speaking we, of crazy years, eh? We kind of laugh because like, what other year would this happen for the Flames to have this? Now the coronavirus takes over. They've already had so many weird things happen this season. Um, they've struggled uh, for for parts of the season, um, but they're still in a playoff position. What's been your brutally honest analysis of this Flames team this season? I was on uh, the Fan 960 with Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pinder in late January. I remember because there was a bye week, and my wife and I uh, snuck out to the lodge in Kananaskis for three nights to get away because I had to get ready to go to St. Louis for the All-Star weekend. And I remember on the show with them chatting about the up-and-down season that the Flames were having, and I remember something. I saying something like, you know, this might be... If they can get into the playoffs, this might be the best thing for them because they had no adversity last year. And you can see how that affected them in the playoffs. When it, once it became a little bit difficult, they had no idea how to manage it. And and I was shocked by how easily they were eliminated last year. But So I was thinking this year, if they can get into the playoffs, man, what experiences that they've battled through and that I'm sure that they'll feel pretty good about themselves knowing that they can fight themselves out of a difficult situation. And and so that's 
kind of why I was really looking forward to this playoff with this team because it was uh, such a weird season for them. And I know Flames fans uh, felt that uh, uh, inconsistency as well. Uh, you know, I hear comments uh, after games and, and people are uh, on social media talking about uh, individual players or just the team in general and so on. And so I was uh, of the mind that, you know, this, this might be a really fun team to watch in the playoffs, and, and maybe they will be if the season uh, resumes, but, uh, you know, it, it'll be so long since uh, they'll have that memory of what they've gone through because it'll seem like a brand-new season. Yeah, and just one more one more Flames question for me, and, I mean, it has been, it has been kind of an interesting year for David Riddick. We've, we've kind of seen him. We've, we've seen him last year. He, had, he, was, he was up and down. Kind of the same this season. What's kind of been your overall takeaway from from David Riddick's performance? Because I think for most of us, we re- really love this guy. We want to see see him succeed. We've seen him lay claim and look like a definite, absolute number one starter on a lot of nights. But then, you know, sometimes, I mean, like every goalie, he'll struggle a little bit. What's kind of been your takeaway? Like, what do you see from David Riddick moving forward in the net? I still see more growth. And uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, and David knows it because I've chatted to him about uh, how much I love watching him play and his emotion and, and so on. But he still has to uh, learn how to play a full season. And I, I just heard Jeff Ward say on the radio, I think it was last week, uh, uh, the same thing. That, you know, it's a really difficult position, not only physically, but uh, more so mentally, to try and find a way to not have the highs and lows. And so he's proven to all Flames fans that when he's really good, he's he's excellent, and and uh, you don't have to worry about uh, him when uh, when he's on. But you know, I think he's dealt with well, this year and last year some injury problems, also in the second half that's been really difficult for him. But uh, you know, when you when you play, it's so beneficial when you play as a youngster and you get to play lots of games. Like you know, I had the good benefit. Uh, when I played junior, I, I think I want to say I played somewhere around 55 or 57 games uh, every year in junior. And, and so you learn to play when you're tired. And, and that's a real key component to have because not, you know, I got to be honest, not many games do you feel great. You know, you, you hope you do. But yeah. uh, the fact of the matter is, is that oftentimes you're tired and you've got other things on going on in your life. And so... You've got to find a way to get it out of yourself, and that's not easy. And if you, if you don't have the history of playing boatloads of games all the time, it, it's a hard lead to try and gain that experience uh, uh, like that. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know what, Kelly? We, we're going to wrap it up. So we really appreciate you joining joining us today. Like I say this all the time, but it's like we are so spoiled in Calgary to have you and Rick and Cassie and Ryan Leslie and the whole crew on Sportsnet, like an absolute A-plus, wonderful broadcast team. So just just a thanks on that front. And uh, um, Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, we we do have fun with our broadcasts. And, uh, yeah, I'm so appreciative of, of, as well of the people that I work with. And uh, uh, definitely a big fan of Rick's. He's amazing. Ryan Leslie's awesome. Derek Wills and Peter Labardius are great so for our radio listeners and i will say this about cassie campbell pascal man it's been such a relief having her come on board and taking away some of my workload because i'm getting older and i was doing somewhere in around 60 
some Flames games, and as much as I loved it, uh, traveling to Toronto every single weekend yeah. was getting the best of me. And so now I think this year I was scheduled to do 45, and Cassie does a wonderful job that uh, it's easy for me to uh, sneak away for the weekends. Beautiful. Well, Perfect. we thank you so much. Um, hopefully, well, take care and give your best to your family, and hopefully you guys stay safe, and hopefully we can, we can get some hockey soon, sooner than later. You got it. Thanks, Jordan and Michael. It's been my pleasure to join you guys. Thanks, Kelly. We'll see you at the Dome, eh? You got it. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Dude, come on! That's so good. That was really good. Like I could literally sit there for four hours yeah. easily. And he's such a good talker too. Like I can, that guy. Thank God that guy's in broadcasting. He's like perfect. And that's, I say that all the time. Like he's so like how we have him as a regional color guy is unreal. It's true. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, he's I, the best color. Like he's so good. It's funny because when did he make his? When did he make his start in broadcasting? Like, what, 98? 97? Something like that? Back on, like, Hockey Night and shit? He was still playing, you were saying. Yeah, his last two playing years was 97-98 with Sharks. And that's when he started when the team uh, had already missed the playoffs. He, he would jump on the, in the booth and, and, and add some color. Um, not color commentary, but obviously intermissions and whatnot. He did behind the mask. Which yeah, really behind the mask. I totally forgot about it until just now. But the reason why I was wondering this is because I remember it was in 04. I'm pretty sure it was 04 when the, we went we went on the big run, mm-hmm. and it, I was at I was at game six when they clinched in San Jose. And I was at game six um, versus Tampa Bay, but I remember somewhere along that timeline, I was walking up the stands, and he was sitting he was sitting in the audience with his dad. Um, mm-hmm. Right on, right on the aisle. So we we shot the shit. He's like, "Yeah, I'm here with my dad. We're watching the game." So I was talking with him, but I think it was like 04. So it was before he started broadcasting with the Flames. Yeah, yeah. Because he didn't start that until pretty recently. Like I think only like four years ago when Rick Ball took over too. So yeah, um, I think it's saying here is 2014-15 season. Yeah, yeah. It's just weird. I don't like. I know he's from Alberta and stuff, but the fact that he, I don't know why that blows my mind so much that he is the guy who does the Flames color commentary on TV. A, it's amazing because he's a great broadcaster. But B, it's like it's like it's Kelly Rudy. It's Kelly Rudy, the Hockey Night Canada guy. Like it's it's just cool that he does the Flames games. Yeah, and then it also I don't know if you, will you chop the blue Siobhan in there. You should probably chop the blue Siobhan in. Yeah. So definitely Don Cherry's making fun of the, the LA Kings. Yeah, definitely making fun. Um, anyways, Kelly's a great guy. Like I said, does, does lots of work in the community with mental health and stuff like that. He's a great broadcaster, great guy. Um, 
why, why are all these people so nice? I, I need to start being nicer, I think. Anyways. Well, there you go, everybody. Hope you enjoyed uh, Kelly Rudy. We're working on Derek Ryan, and um, we'll try and get some more guests on.